Hiya, welcome to this week's Zonal Marking Podcast, which, as ever, is brought to you by The Athletic. Ali Maxwell here, getting pretty excited for the return of another major European league. And Michael Cox, that is the base for what we're talking about this week. Good to chat with you. Run me through it. Hi, Ali. Yeah, we're chatting about Barcelona today, a relatively new manager in charge. Um, and with the return of La Liga, I thought a few people might like a, a refresher on what they're up to under Kike Setien. Well, I certainly do. And thankfully, we've got Dermot Corrigan to give us all the details. Dermot, working hard on site at the moment ahead of the return of La Liga. Hey, Ali. Yeah, all systems go. Uh, everybody here in Spain is very excited about getting La Liga back, getting football back as the country starts to open up quite a bit over the last couple of weeks and football returning is kind of being seen as a as a symbol of uh, getting back to some kind of normality here. Absolutely. Well, you have written a piece this week, uh, Unpredictable La Liga set for one of its best finishes in years. We're going to touch on that on this podcast, as well as focusing on Kike Setien and FC Barcelona. Michael's been working hard on site too. They didn't think it could be done, uh, a series with more uh, interest than the squad numbers series that you wrote about, but actually <laughs> you're... Or reconsidered series where you're looking back at individual performances that have been written into football folklore and uh, yeah, casting the cock's eye over them uh, has certainly captured the imagination. Uh, if anyone's not read any of this, Dermot's work, Michael's work, all the other good stuff on the Athletic site, uh, you can get a 30-day free trial ahead of your subscription. If you sign up going to theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking. Uh, that will give you a 30-day free trial. So plenty of time to scope it out, see what's on site uh, and decide whether to move forward with a subscription. So do give that a go. But let's get our teeth into Barcelona, the league leaders of La Liga. Try saying that five times quickly. Uh, let's see how they're going under Kike Setien, uh, who was appointed back in January. Dermot, prior to this, Back-to-back La Liga titles for Barcelona, joint top of the league at the time of Ernesto Valverde's departure. I suppose an obvious question from the outside is, remind us exactly why the Valverde era came to an end when it did. A lot of it comes down to the specialness of Barcelona and Real Madrid as well, or just the very high demands that they have. But the real problem for Valverde came in the Champions League, the defeats to Roma, and especially at Anfield last year when... Everybody was expecting Barca to go on and win the Champions League last season, or especially, for sure, get get to the final. And the way that they lost at Anfield was really crushing. So even though they went on to, to win the La Liga title, there was a feeling that Valverde could well have, have gone at that stage. Um, he, he hung on a bit because there was very few contenders around to, to replace him. And then this season was just really dull from Barcelona's point of view, especially for the fans. People who kind of grew up, especially maybe younger fans, or people who remember back to the, the Guardiola times and then under Luis Enrique when they won the Champions League with Neymar and Suarez and Messi. They, they just haven't been playing very attractive football, very stylish football. Valverde was very pragmatic. He was getting the job done in La Liga but wasn't able to, to rise to the bigger occasions. And in the end, everybody's patience just kind of ran out with him. And what was it about Kike Setien and his background, his body of work in the game that led to him being the replacement for Valverde? The main advantage Setien had that at that time was that he was out of work because the Barca tried <laughs> to get a couple of other people to come in. You know, they tried very hard to get get Xavi. Xavi publicly turned them down. They turned to, to Ronald Koeman. There was either even talk that they'd go for Pochettino, even though he's a an Espanol kind of through and through arrival of Barca, they would have taken him. Sedian was there and he also had a good reputation for playing um, 
Barca style football or, or possession based football, very very tactically sound, very attractive for 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 a Barca for the Barca pundits, the Barca point of view. He he done a lot of that with with, with smaller teams like Lugo in the second division. Even a, a decade ago, he was he was kind of. A famous for for how his team ha- had played such nice football. Then Las Palmas came up in into the Premier in the Premier. He did very well with them, and then with Betis. And his teams tended to, to rise to the bigger occasions as well. They played really well against Barca. Won at the Camp Nou last year. The one at the Bernabeu two years in a row, I think. And he just had he was kind of that guy who was the had a reputation for playing nice football, for being kind of set into Barca's style, even though he'd never played there. And when there was nobody else around, then they plumped for him. And Michael, you were actually over at the Camp Nou for Setien's first game in charge. How would you have described this team tactically under Valverde and what became clear to you that night at the Camp Nou, Setien's first game, about how that would change under his management? Yeah, the glory days where we could actually travel to different countries and, and watch football games. Um, I mean, to be honest, this isn't particularly tactical. My main memory of that day, or that evening, I should say, was I think it's the windiest football game I've ever been to. It was just extraordinary. You had advertising hoardings blowing up uh, across the pitch on two or three occasions. And it was almost like the Sunday league thing of, you know, when it's really windy, just keep it on the deck, lads. And uh, that's exactly what Barcelona did. Um, they made... I think a thousand passes, which was the most in La Liga this season by miles, 83% possession, which I believe was the third highest figure they'd recorded uh, since Opta started tracking these things. And it felt like Setien was making a statement. I mean, Barcelona won 1 0. It wasn't a particularly beautiful display of football. It wasn't particularly convincing victory over Granada, who in fairness had, had caused Barcelona a lot of problems in winning 2-0 against them earlier in the campaign. But it was like Setien first and foremost wanted to show what he was all about. Um, and yeah, it was very patient possession play. It was quite conservative. I think the positives probably came without the ball in the sense that Barcelona Right from the outset, they pressed more, both in terms of counter-pressing and trying to win the ball quickly after they'd lost it in the centre of the pitch. But also just when the opposition were playing out, they, they really wanted to get tight and push up, force the opposition to, to kick the ball long. So there was some urgency in the way they played without the ball, if not necessarily what they did in possession. Well, it was a windy night, so perhaps not the best time to get a real clear view on, on how things would develop. Although I do love the sort of early narrative, as you say, the statement of making over a thousand and passes. Um, would you say that therefore this is a, generally a more familiar Barcelona system back to 4-3-3 perhaps a little more Cruyffian in approach under Setien? Yeah, broadly speaking it started as 4-3-3 but Sergio Roberto who was playing right back kind of ended up more as a right side centre back and Jordi Alba who was obviously the left back was playing more like a left winger so it was almost like 3-3-4 in possession and we've seen a lot of different systems from Setien I mean I'd say 4-3-3 has probably been almost the, the most common system, the base system. But I mean, there's been a 4-3-1-2 against Betis. In the Clasico against Real Madrid, it was somewhere between 4-4-2 and 4-3-3. I think what they've lacked really is is forward running and directness, you know, regardless of the position. When you talk about the 4-3-3 they played on a Pep Guardiola, you think about Messi up front as the false nine, but you also think about David Villa and Pedro Rodriguez. And I don't think that they have those kind of players. I think there's been question marks over Suarez's form this season. Antoine Griezmann hasn't really fitted in. That struck me as a strange signing. I'm not quite sure what role he's meant to play. And, and nearly a year on, I still don't think it's clear. So I think 
some of the more important players have, have been the ones who are just good at sprinting forwards as as simple as it is to say. Um, I think Jordi Alba has been really important to Barcelona, particularly over the last couple of seasons. And I think even though he hasn't really ever looked like a, a typical Barcelona player, I think Arturo Vidal has sometimes looked pretty useful under Setienne, again, because he just makes those kind of bombing runs forward from midfield. So for me, it, it kind of goes back to... Um, you know, the lack of urgency in possession. Um, it's not just what Barcelona are doing literally with their players on the ball. I think it's what the players are doing off the ball in terms of the running. And I think we need to see more of that if they're to turn all this possession into goals. Dermot, how would you say the fans were reacting to Setien's style of play? Just around a dozen games under him before the pause. Uh, do you think that there was a, a positivity around you know, we're talking tactics specifically here around this sort of style or were they a little underwhelmed by the start, do you think? At the very start when he came in, there was a lot of goodwill towards him because people, especially the more tactically minded uh, pundits and fans and the people who, you know, really identified with, with Guardiola's style or kind of feel that Barca have to play a certain way, those people were very happy to see Serie coming in and they gave him a, a pass really even when, you know, they were doing those thousand passes per game but, but only scoring when their opposition were down to 10 men or you know, almost got knocked out of the, the Copa del Rey at third tier of Ibiza. The results weren't great, the prompters weren't great, but there was even still a, quite a bit of goodwill towards City and our hope that he would be able to pull things together, uh, an acceptance that it was going to take a bit of time. Results weren't great, though. You know, they lost at, at Valencia as well. They got knocked out of the Copa del Rey Athletic Bilbao. And then the Clásico that they lost as well was, was a big deal coming up to the break. So a lot of that patience had kind of run out with City and he was getting questioned a lot more in, in the press just when the break came. The, the one silver lining or the, the positive, if we can even use that type of a phrase around what's happened, is that he's had a lot more time now to, to talk to the players. He's a guy who really talks about how he teaches the players how he wants them to play, how, where he wants them to stand, the runs he wants to make, as Michael was saying there. A lot of it is it's not just you know what they do when they have the ball, it's what they do off the ball, where they stand, where the, the spaces that they open up through, through their movement. So he's a very technical coach in that type of way, a guy who needs a bit of time to get his ideas across. And the hope amongst from Sadie and himself and from, from the people around the club is that the break will have uh, helped in, in that way that the players will have maybe taken on board his ideas more now and he'll be able to, to impress or the team will be able to impress those those tactically-minded fans and pundits when they come back. Seemingly quite a dogmatic manager then, I suppose, as many previous Barcelona managers have been. We've already mentioned the word Cruyffian on this podcast. And Michael, in terms of individual players, we've got a few to touch on, but I will just start with a player who made that pilgrimage from Amsterdam to Barcelona in the summer. Frenkie de Jong was one of two big summer signings, you'd say, along with Antoine Griezmann uh, and Martin Braithwaite, of course, just uh, the, the big uh, winter signing. Um, how, how would you say Frenkie de Jong's first season in Barcelona has gone? Yeah, not particularly well, if I'm being honest. I mean, compared to how he, he was with Ajax, people talked about him as you know, a really promising young midfielder. But I think he showed in that Champions League run, he was already one of the best midfielders in Europe and, and certainly one of the most unique as well in terms of his style. I think he's he's struggled really to find his best position at Barcelona. Um, at Ajax, usually he was either the deepest midfielder or one of the two deep midfielders. At Barcelona, obviously, there's Sergio Busquets there, um, who's, who's kind of dominated the holding role for about 10 years now. De Jong's been higher, almost as a bit of an attacking midfielder. 
He's received the ball in different positions with his back to goal. We know that he loves basically just picking up speed and, and dribbling with the ball from deep positions. He hasn't really been able to do that. And I just think that the main issue is he hasn't been on the ball enough. There was a game against Betis earlier in the season where he did an interview after the game and said, yeah, of all the players in, in Barcelona's side, I had the fewest touches, which I quite liked as if he was on kind of, you know, his stat zone app after the game or something. <laughs> but I think that kind of, yeah, summarises the, the basic problem. He's not getting on the ball enough. He's not really in the right positions. Um, he was always seen as the long-term successor to Busquets. And I, I think he was probably always going to have to accept playing his way into Barcelona's kind of system in a slightly different position. But I mean, it's, it's been a surprise how, you know, some of the positions he's had to take up. I mean, I remember that uh, the Clasico uh, recently, I say recently, it's been about three months now, but in terms of one of the most recent games they played, he was almost playing as a left winger, you know, on the left of a diamond midfield officially. But because Barcelona had no left-sided forward, he was the one who was really having to move out and, and shut down uh, Danny Carver Howe. And that's just not his game. So, yeah, I don't think we need to be too hasty in, in terms of writing him off, in terms of how he's going to do at Barcelona. I still think he'll develop into one of the best midfielders in the world. But uh, yeah, it's been um, a frustrating campaign, I think. And maybe even more frustrating because Setien's maybe a manager who would appreciate him a bit more. And then obviously there was only, what, about 10 games before the uh, before the break. So yeah, he's maybe one who will benefit from uh, working on the training ground a bit under a new manager and hopefully come back stronger after this break. Still only 23, uh, of course. Now on to the big name. Uh, and Michael, is this club, which we know is Mesque and club, still very much Messi's club? Yeah, I think so. I, I think it's been more pronounced than ever, probably since the summer of 2017, when uh, Valverde was appointed. Also when Neymar left, I just think that changed the balance of Barcelona and how they played. And yeah, it's been it's been kind of as it's been for the last couple of years. Often Messi is is having you know 60, 70, even 80% of Barcelona's shots in one game. Uh, in a defeat to Valencia, I think it was 11 of the 14 shots. And that's, you know, partly because Luis Suarez has been absent. He's been the the other main goal scorer over the last few years, of course. When he's been out, again Griezmann hasn't really stepped up. And it is all about Messi and and you know, since Valverde came in, he's he's played more as a a kind of typical number 10, which he hadn't really done with Barcelona until that point. He'd done it with Argentina in various systems. But at Barcelona, either he was playing from the right or he was playing with a false nine with with two wide forwards ahead of him. Since then, it's tended to be Suarez up front and Messi just behind. And I think with some of Barcelona's structural issues, mainly under Valverde, but they haven't completely been solved under Setien. I think Messi's just got so many jobs. He's, he's the main assister, he's the main goal scorer. But I think in terms of the structure of the side, he's just been forced to bridge an absolutely yawning gap between the midfield and Suarez. So yeah, I think more than ever, they are dependent on Messi. And I think that's probably um, one of the major challenges for them in the summer when it comes to transfers and that kind of thing. How they, you know, I don't think they need to move away from Messi being the best player, obviously, because he's always going to be the best player, but just easing some of the burden on him in terms of goal scoring and in terms of assisting. Dermot, should they have expected more from Antoine Griezmann? Where does he fit in this side, the, the, the other major summer signing as well as de Jong? And uh, you kind of touched on it earlier. Again, hasn't exactly made the most, uh, well, the greatest, most positive impact in his first season so far. Yeah, and that, it kind of links to what Michael was saying there, that there were some at Barcelona who saw Griezmann as, as somebody who could come in and take some of the pressure off Messi because at Atletico Madrid he played 
quite deep um, scored scored quite a lot of goals assisted a lot of goals as well was involved in, in the build up play and there was a hope that that he would be able to to shoulder some of that burden in the team and make it make them less reliant on Messi that's very that hasn't really worked out that way and it's very difficult for another player to come in and even to to try and uh, not to push Messi aside, but even to try and help him share that burden because everybody looks to pass to Messi whenever the midfielders have it or, or the defenders, they all look for him. And Griezmann himself is not an ideal fit with with the way Barca wants to play or the way Messi wants to play. From from Atletico, he covered so much ground. He was back at, at full-back sometimes, helping out and popped up everywhere. And within, a, as Michael was saying there, what Barca needed was somebody more like a, a David Villa or a Pedro who would go in behind, which maybe Martin Braithwaite is not at that the same technical level as those players but he's more of that style of a player whereas Griezmann was trying to do maybe some of the job that Messi will do anyway and he's not as good at doing it and he's just struggled to, to find his right place in the team he did get that goal at Napoli in the Champions League which was pretty crucial for, for him personally and the team in their first leg we'll, we'll see what, what happens you know with the Champions League later on maybe but that was a big moment for him um, and for the team as well but it just hasn't gone as they had hoped and it is it's hard to see exactly how even maybe after a Sedian works out how he wants everybody to play not sure that Griezmann and Messi really do fit that well together in a in an optimum team of course it wasn't just Messi as a senior player that he had to try and find a role alongside but also Luis Suarez uh, 33 years old now and he picked up a knee injury in January so hasn't played much if at all under Kike Setien, uh, but he did have a very good goal scoring record. Uh, it might be that Suarez's uh, profile and, and, and role was creating a bit of an imbalance in the team that Michael may have touched on there, but certainly was was among the goals. Um, is there a feeling that Suarez is is going to be phased out here? That the knee injury clearly came at a very bad time, but he was still scoring goals, Dermot. Yeah, he had amazing form, really, and it was a problem with his knee was a kind of chronic one that had been building up over time so he was playing hampered by it even before he had to stop but he scored six goals and given 10 assists in the 10 games running up to that so you know it was difficult to leave him out and obviously he can't go on forever and the talk is of of them maybe trying to sign Lautaro uh, Martinez from Inter Milan as a, a long-term replacement and Messi seems to have have given the nod towards towards accepting that and he, even when, when Suarez got injured there was talk maybe that he might have played his last game for the club that he could go to a, MLS in the summer but with everything that's happened and with the the way the transfer market is going to be you know who knows what's going to happen and the reliance on Suarez is kind of indicative of a big problem that Barca have in that uh, if you go all the way through the team from Piquet, Busquets, Messi, Suarez they're all in their they're all in well into their 30s at this stage some of them and they're not able to to do what they were able to do before physically they're they're not up to the the type of work rate of the ball the running that they used to do before but they're still the most important players in the team they're still key to the defense the midfield uh, and the attack so Barca can't can't be as good as they were before but yet nobody else has come in to be to be able to replace them so Barca are kind of stuck in that transitional over the top kind of phase and need maybe to to take a risk and to to push some of those guys out, but it's very difficult to do. And, and you've just interviewed Martin Braithwaite, the interview on the athletic site uh, at the moment. I'm really interested in in the case of this player who, for many English football fans, uh, you know, it was a bizarre signing. Barca were granted emergency permission to sign him as a replacement for Ousmane Dembele after his injury. Uh, of course, Braithwaite, kind of a poster boy for a few years of failure 
at Middlesbrough because he was a, a £9 million signing uh, to Borough after their relegation from the Premier League. And of course, things haven't gone well for them since and, and it's certainly never worked for him there. Uh, but in the last season or two before he joined Barca, he's been in La Liga with Leganes. Uh, and of course, in different situations, sometimes you see different performances, different output, output from players. So I'm interested to hear from you how you think uh, the first few months of his time at Barcelona went and what stood out most from your interview with Martin Braithwaite. It's really interesting to, to talk to him and you know before having the conversation as well I would agree with a lot of what you said like it was just kind of surreal to think that somebody who who had been at Borough didn't go great went to Leganes and scored a few goals but hadn't been standing out uh, as a as an outstanding player that the fact that he ended up at Barca in those unusual circumstances with the emergency transfer what was just weird but the way he he, he talked about it was that he'd always He'd always kind of planned it out himself that he was, this was the route he was going to take. That when he was at Borough, he, he fought very hard to come to Leganes. Mostly, according to him, was to, to come to play in Spain to show what he could do against the the bigger teams in La Liga and to win himself a move to to it turned out to be Barcelona. And he's not going to say it now, but maybe if he had to, if Madrid had to come from, he wouldn't have said no either. And if you look at his record, he scored against Barca in La Liga. Was his first goal for Leganes. He scored in the Copa del Rey against Madrid. Leganes got knocked out on that in that occasion, but he. His best performances came in the bigger games. And he is that type of player that, that we were saying before who has something different that, that Barcelona don't really have, that he's, uh, he, he's very athletic, he he's gets, it, gets, into the, gets into the box, gets on the end of things. And he's worked out himself how exactly he could play, as well as having his kind of career path mapped out in his head, which circumstances turned out that it fell in his favour. He's also thought a lot about how he can fit into the Barca team, the runs he has to make. Even before he joined the club, he said he used to watch the Barca games and think where he would go on the pitch if he was playing now and how he would fit with Messi and with Busquets and with these guys. And he's very positive about how he can make a big impact. You know, it's a very short amount of time that he had before the break to, to show. He came on in the Clásico and he had a great chance at, at nil all. He did a super chance to, to put Barca ahead, which would have been a massive moment in the title race. He missed it. And then almost immediately Madrid broke down the other end on his wing and Vinicius shot deflected into the net and that was the game for Madrid so that's kind of his, his standout moment in a Barca shirt so far hasn't gone so well but in the games against Ibar and Real Sociedad he did provide that extra energy that extra athleticism got in behind and was involved in a good few goals especially against Ibar and against Real Sociedad as well he made a difference so he thinks he can make a big impact over it these next 11 games he's not a typical Barca player and as I say circumstances have have fallen his way that, that he's going to end up being in the team and could have a big role to play over these last 11 games. Yeah, really enjoyed reading that interview. A reminder to listeners who aren't subscribed to The Athletic site and app that theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking will get you a 30-day free trial. So you can check out that Martin Braithwaite interview and, and plenty more as well, of course. Uh, Michael, uh, we've referenced it already. Two league defeats under Setien so far, both 2-0 losses at Valencia and at Real Madrid. What went wrong in those games? Yeah, the uh, the first one against Valencia, I guess, was almost the, the classic Barcelona um, defeat in terms of, you know, they, they've moved back towards this possession style. Um, it was basically possession without penetration and, and they kept 
getting caught out on the counter-attack. Valencia probably could have won by more, actually. Setien afterwards talked about meaningless passes, complaining that his, his players weren't doing enough to penetrate the opposition, which kind of tallied with, with what we'd expected based upon the first couple of games. Against Real, I thought their shape was peculiar. They had Griezmann up front. No one on the left, as I mentioned earlier, De Jong was almost out there as part of a diamond midfield, but no proper width until, actually until Braithwaite came on and you could contrast that with Real, who had uh, Vinicius on the left. I didn't think he had a particularly good game, actually, but he just offered uh, an out ball, an outlet on the left. You kind of knew where he was going to be. You knew he was going to run with the ball down the wing. And he did it four or five times and got the final pass wrong. And, and then he kind of, well, he almost got his shot wrong and it deflected it off PK. So it was a, a bit of a lucky goal. But I just thought it showed really what Barcelona were lacking, which was just a constant outlet for someone to to carry the ball in a wide position. I think Setien slightly moved away from what we saw in that first game against Granada that we spoke about. The possession share has been falling a little bit. I think they've, they've maybe realised they need a little bit more space to break into when they get the ball um, rather than letting the opposition retreat into a good defensive block. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he's been up to in uh, in the last few weeks when he's had the players back on the training ground. I, I expect there will be, you know, there will have been a lot of work on positional play. I don't think we'll see such a kind of unconvincing structure to the team um, and maybe a little bit more directness uh, in possession now that they've had uh, the chance to work with someone like Braithwaite, for example. Yeah, really interesting to see what sort of shape Barca will be in when they return and how Setien's instructions over the break, what he's been able to get across to them will be implemented on the pitch. And and Dermot, you've written about the run-in here, the title run-in and the end of the La Liga season set for one of its best finishes in years, according to your good self. Barca heading into it with a two-point lead over Real Madrid, both sides with a couple of tricky fixtures, but the majority of their games against teams they would certainly expect to be so the pressure is on Barcelona to an extent, I suppose. What I'd like to know from you is where you think Barca are stronger than Real Madrid, who, of course, we covered on a previous podcast back in April, which is worth a listen, uh, and where you think Real might have the upper hand over them. Where Barca are stronger is, is pretty easy to say. It's messy. Um, like Madrid, you know, they're hoping that, that Hazard will come back fit and will do well. But Messi is, is the, key, the key to the, the remainder of the season, I think, because... If Barca are going to be the most consistent team is going to win it over the 11 games, especially with games coming every three or four days, it's going to be difficult to put on sparkling displays and to, to blow teams away all the time. And if you have Messi who can you know, just find a way to do something, whether it's a free kick or whether it's a goal himself or, or a, a pass that he you know, opens up a defence in the last couple of minutes. And even, in, even before, uh, before the break, Messi was by far La Liga's outstanding player. You know, a lot of games where Barca didn't play so well. In their, their final game before it, uh, before the break, they would beat Real Sociedad 1-0 at home. It was dodgy enough performance, but but Messi came up with something to win it for them. So if Barca are going to do it, it, it's going to be down to him because Madrid, I think looking at it objectively, which is a difficult one to do, but I think Madrid have a much deeper squad. That physically, they, they should be much better. They're just more players, which is, is going to help over this time. Barca's squad is, is quite short. And Madrid have a lot of guys like Lucas Vasquez or... Well, Nacho, but he, he got injured. But they, they've a higher quality of squad player and, and more squad players. So Zidane, the word is that he's going to rotate a lot over these games, could even play you know, vastly different starting 11s in his games. Whereas Barca don't have the, the ability to do that. They're going to rely on, on Pique, Busquets, Suarez, as we said, and, and Messi especially. So that, that's how, how it comes down, I think, is quite simple to, between 
Messi's individual brilliance and Madrid's just greater depth and ability to to grind results out. does make it feel like they're there to be shot at. Michael, what are your thoughts on what might happen at the top of La Liga for the rest of the season? Where would your money be here? Uh, it's a tough one. I, I, it's so difficult with the break. I I think they're pretty, they're pretty neck and neck, to be honest. I, I think I'd probably just give Real the advantage just because I, I think they're a little bit more settled in, in the way that they're playing. Um, obviously, that may have changed, as, as we mentioned, with, with Barcelona having more time on the training ground. But I felt like that Clasico felt like a you know, a good example of the difference between the sides. Real just seemed a bit more aware of what they were trying to do and, and that might just carry them through the last uh, 10 games or so. Dermot, do you think it would be a, a problem for Setien if Barcelona were to hand over their title? Valverde, of course, won two in a row. Would that be an issue for him and his job security if, if that did come to pass over the next few months? People will be, dis- will be very disappointed, but I think... This is just a, a prediction now when you ask me, but I, I think they would understand that the circumstances have been so weird, especially that, that he came in 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 January and that all, all that's happened since then. Were they to, were they to bomb out completely and finish you know, five, five, seven, eight, ten points behind Madrid, then he would be in trouble. But if they if it went down to the wire and Madrid just nicked it, I think Sedian would get the benefit of the doubt, partly because the real... Uh, arrows are going to be fired higher above at, at the club president Bartomeu, who's in a very difficult position. He was the guy who decided to, to sack a Valverde in the first place, even though they'd nobody lined up. And if they were to get rid of Sadie, and it's very difficult to see anybody a big name coming in at short notice to, to take over because they're going to have to, to move on a lot of players during the summer. Their financial problems are, are pretty serious, so you know there's not going to be a lot of money around to to strengthen the team again ahead of next season and Bartomeu only has 12 months left anyway so there, there will be presidential elections in t- summer 2021 if not before and it's likely for a new president to come in and probably a whole new team to come in or a coaching team to come in sporting director all, all that type of thing will be be shaken up at the camp now after those elections you could see Xavi back as coach you could potentially see uh, Puyol coming in coming back as well and a lot of the the older names from from that those glory areas to come back and, and maybe with a new team as well so Sedian is in a difficult position he probably only has 18 months at, at most in the job but people won't hold him responsible really were they to to not win the La Liga and there'll be the Champions League to come as well after that and were they to go on and win that then suddenly he'd become a hero again it'd be um, it's going to be a weird one to see and in the, these difficult circumstances it's going to be weird to see but he's not the, the main guy who's, whose reputation is on the line I think Sounds like a, a huge 12 to 18 months uh, for the club and I guess at this normal stage as we wind down I'd, I'd tend to ask where do you think they would look to improve the squad this summer where do they need to improve the squad this summer from what you're saying there they might be looking to reduce the wage bill due to financial troubles rather than add to it. Is that, are you expecting a, a quiet summer in the transfer market for Barcelona? Like over the last couple of months or so, the headlines, a lot of the headlines on the front of the Catalan papers where you'd expect to see the, the targets that they're going to go for have been the players that they're going to try to, to move on. You know, Coutinho is still in theory going to come back. They'd love to be able to sell him, Dembele as well. Guys like Rakitic um, who are coming towards the end of their careers who are on big money. Because of the, the strictures that the board are under, they, they're more worried at the moment about trying to, to get rid of them. They'd like to, to bring in Lautaro, as I was saying before, but it'll be to try to get some kind of complicated swap moves going. And again, the the big change is likely to come in the team maybe 12 months further down the line. I don't expect there to be lots of a move at Barca or at Madrid or, or at Atletico. All the Spanish clubs are, are going to be working under very difficult financial conditions and all of them are 
probably more likely to to make to try to make profits in the transfer window this summer, I would say. Michael, in terms of La Liga as a whole and outside of this top two of, of Barcelona and Real Madrid, nine points back from Real. You have Sevilla in third on 47, uh, Real Sociedad on 46, along with Getafe, Atletico Madrid on 45 and Valencia on 42. Uh, which other teams in this division are you keeping an eye on uh, in the final nine games or so? What I've enjoyed watching Hitafe when I've seen them this season, I say enjoy um, maybe with a slight hint of irony because they're not the most free-flowing, beautiful football side. I'd say they're kind of an athletic light. Um, there's been a lot of you know, long-term speculation linking Jose Bordelas with uh, maybe replacing Diego Simeone one day. And stylistically, you can very much see the similarities. Um, they're almost neck and neck in, in the table, actually, Hitafe one point ahead of them. But I think more just... It's almost the fixtures more than the league table that is exciting me, if that makes sense, just because we're returning on, on Thursday night with uh, the Seville derby. On Friday is uh, a derby in Valencia, Valencia against uh, Levante. And then Saturday night is uh, Mallorca against Barcelona, which I think is an interesting one because um, I did an article for the, um, for the site looking at kind of home advantage and which sides across Europe kind of depend on it more. And one of the conclusions was uh, the island sides uh, a uh, a particularly strong at home um, and that certainly applies to Mallorca who've, who've got the highest percentage of their points won at home so far this season and there was a, a bit of a controversy that at one stage they were going to be forced to you know with the neutral venues plan they were going to be forced to play on the mainland um, that's not going to happen they are going to play in Mallorca um, Barcelona have struggled in the Balearics this season they needed a last minute goal to beat uh, third division Ibiza in the Copa del Rey in January so uh, that could be an interesting game Dermot you can't cover a league as closely as you do and not have a uh, a few sides outside of the the big names, shall we say, that you enjoy watching play, that you look forward to watching play. Uh, what are you most excited about over the coming weeks? Well, there's going to be games every day, and there's going to be something on most of the games every day because I did one of those the fixture predict. Marco have a pretty good fixture predictor on their website, and I didn't think loads about it, but I was putting in the results and got down, and pretty much all the teams had something to play for on the last day, whether it was going for Europe or, or against relegation. The teams to, like Villarreal are a good team to watch because you can never you never know what to expect when they're going to play. They've had some super results in big wins so far this season, but they're all also capable of of losing three 0 to, to Leganes on any day. Betis also are a good good one to look out for, and they're going to be playing the the derby against Sevilla on, on Thursday night. It's going to be a, a super game, a super occasion, I think, even in a in a weird situation. And they you know they beat Madrid the last game before um, things stopped. They beat Madrid in that game. They put it up to, to Barca as well, and they're. They're capable of putting on a show with some of their players like Fekira and Canales in midfield are, are super players. I I would also kind of keep an eye out for, for Celta in the, the relegation zone. Uh, Oscar Garcia came in as their coach and has tightened things up a lot. And he's another guy who's very much in the in the Barcelona style of play. Um, an ex-Barca player had time in, in England as well. And he's got them playing not the most exciting football, I would say, but, but very interesting the way that they... Uh, they move as a team the way, the way that they work together they've got Rafinha in midfield as well he's another kind of Barca link and they are have been in relegation trouble all, all year and hasn't gone so well for them over the last couple of months and been very many goals in their games but they're a, tactically they're a very interesting team to look out for Real Sociedad as well are, are somebody to, to keep an eye on they're going to be going for Europe and they play super football they play really really high paced attacking kind of modern um, football that they have going and they've just got a lot of really good young attacking players in in 
Oyarzabal, a Odegaard, obviously, and an Alexander Isak. And Odegaard up against Real Madrid in a couple of weeks' time is going to be a super one to watch because he's put on a really good show so far. Looks like he's ready to come back and and go straight into the Madrid team, even possibly next season. So that'll be a big one for him to, to see if he can if he can show that up against Modric and, and Fede Valverde as well, who'd be a, a direct opponent in that game. Such a rich tapestry is Spanish football. And we have been so lucky and grateful to you, Dermot, for the episodes that you've helped us with on Zidane's Real Madrid back in April on Athletic Club, that unique club in top European divisions as well back in May, and now on FC Barcelona. Uh, it's been fascinating to find out what has changed under Kike Setien, what may change more now that he's had a bit of time to get some of his uh, dogma across, uh, and also some of the various situations in terms of personnel within the squad and off the field. Uh, well, a huge 18 months or so for this famous club. So thank you for listening to this week's Zonal Marking Podcast. A reminder that we are weekly. We are one of many athletic podcasts. So make sure you discover all that the podcast stable has to offer. Uh, and all podcasts are, of course, available free on all platforms, but available ad-free as well if you're a subscriber to the athletic site and you listen via the app. So become a subscriber today if you're not. Uh, Theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking will get you a 30-day free trial. Uh, ahead of an annual subscription so please do give us a go please make sure you subscribe to this podcast feed we'll be back again next week i dare say we might be looking ahead to the return of seria and i'm sure we'll find a very interesting topic to discuss so thank you to michael and dermot we'll be back next week